Recorded live in a galaxy far, far away, it's Transformation Thursday. I'm Penny Sterling, and my pronouns are she, her. And I'm Leia Stevens, and my pronouns are she, her as well. In today's episode, we talk about the evil empire, the Mormon church, and one man's struggle to transform the church's practice of interviewing young people as young as 11 years old behind closed doors. And most often this interview is in a one-to-one setting with a middle-aged man. Topics covered are faith in Jesus, a belief that Mormon leaders today are prophets, and chastity. Um, did did I hear you right, Amy? Did you just say men in the Mormon church interview kids as young as 11 and ask them specific questions about sex? Yes, I did. Okay, well that seems a bit, I don't know, culty to me, but... But what does that have to do with us? Well, glad you asked. Well, the name of our podcast is Transformation Thursday. And we talk about things in society and as, as they change, obviously, since Transformation Thursday. Well, our guest tonight is Sam Young. Sam was a Mormon bishop, grew up Mormon, and raised his family in the faith. After finding out his daughter was asked sexually explicit questions in a bishop's youth worthiness interview, after this discovery, Sam made it his mission to transform the Mormon church from the inside with what in 2017 he called Protect LDS Children. This movement transformed how the Mormon church conducts youth interviews today. And Sam is here on a Zoom call with us to tell us about his movement and how he is now attempting protect every child from predatory adults. But for now, let's continue with the time-honored tradition of the music swell and fade out. Let's talk about change, Amy. Okay, let me see. It looks like I've got three quarters, a nickel, a Canadian loony, and a few British tenors from when I was in London, because I'm an international comedian. No, not that change. Change is in transformation. The topic of Transformation Thursday. Oh, yeah, that. Well, we're doing this podcast to highlight how much things change and how quickly they do it in society today. Everything changes, and change isn't good or bad. It just is. The more we realize that change is just the natural progression of things, the better off we'll be. Now, let's talk about change. Didn't we just do that? No, no, not the last one. The first one. The coins. Money. About how people can give us some of theirs so that we can continue talking about ours. Are you just trying to get people to go to our Patreon page to support this podcast so that we can continue our exploration of what it means to live in a rapidly changing world? Because although this is a labor of love, we do have expenses, and by going to TransformationThursday.com, they can help ensure that we can continue to be bringing this fun and insightful commentary on the world today, plus get exclusive patrons-only content. Um, if I say yes, can we get on to our next segment? Oh, God, I hope so. Okay, then. TransformationThursday.com. Also, can you break a 20 for me? Sure. I can get that to you in euros. Okay, now you're just showing off. Welcome back to Transformation Thursday. I am Amy Stevens, and my pronouns are still she, her after that break. And my name is Penny Sterling, and my pronouns are always sure she, her as well. Now, Amy, before we began recording tonight, I could sense how personal this interview was for you. Uh, do you mind telling me and our audience how this ties into your life? Oh, yeah, sure. You bet you don't you know. Sam's movement started in 2017 as I was beginning to come out as transgender, even though I had been a more been a member of the Mormon Church for almost two decades. 
I didn't grow up Mormon. I grew up in Minnesota, as we have spoken about a few times always here on the show. As I converted to the Mormon Church as an adult in 1999, realizing what was being asked in those interviews when my daughter started going through them, I was absolutely horrified. And and by that time, your oldest daughter, LaRue, was 15, and wasn't she already exposed to these interviews? Yeah, she was, and after hearing about Sam's movement and what some bishops were asking these kids about chastity, sex, and masturbation, I had to have a chat with LaRue about these topics. In fact, I asked her directly if she had been asked any appropriate questions by her local leaders, and thank God she hadn't been. But when it came to my divorce, I have a clause in our divorce settlement stating I will be notified of youth interviews with my now 11-year-old daughter. And anytime our bishop reaches out, I have to have a two-week notification so that way I can make myself available for them. Our past bishop was fine with this, but the new bishop has not been thrilled with me, not only because I'm a woman who happens to be transgender, but also because of this clause in our settlement, and I refuse to give him one-to-one access with with my daughter, either on Zoom or in person, but oh well. Oh well is indeed the truth about that one. So so not only has Sam transformed a part of the Mormon church, his movement has helped transform you, and that's amazing. But now let's stop talking with ourselves and welcome Sam Young to Transformation Thursday. Sam, thank you so very much for being on our show with us. Well, thank you. I just want to reiterate again from our previous conversation here. Thank you. It's a real honor to be interviewed with you two. Oh, you say that now. <laughs> well, it reminds, that's right. So far, it's been great. I'm sure the rest is going to be crummy, but hey, yeah, I, yeah. it was really good. Yeah, yeah. We start out strong and it's downhill from here, just so you know. Okay. Yeah. Fair warning. Hey, Sam, why don't you tell us a little bit about your life experiences with the Mormon Church? I mean, you know, the, you know what maybe other podcasts call that Mormon street cred. You know, um, you know, where does it, you know, bring that up to where your movement started. Okay. So I was born and raised in Utah uh, in a Mormon household. Uh, He had all the benchmarks, baptized at eight, received the priesthood at 12, uh, went uh, to BYU uh, when I graduated high school, and then went on a mission when I was um, 19 for two years to Guatemala and El Salvador. And that was such an amazing, it really was a wonderful experience. I graduated BYU, moved to uh, Texas, um, sir, uh, met my wife down here. Uh, we were married in the Salt Lake Temple and uh, got six kids, uh, raised them all in the church. Uh, basically, the church was my highest, I mean, I hate to say this today, but the church was my number one priority. I thought God was, we should put God first and that meant putting the church first. So when I was asked to do something in the church, I not only did it, I jumped in with two feet and really did it. Kind of like this Protect LDS Children movement. That wasn't a halfway effort. That wasn't a part-time effort. I jumped in with all my, my mind and strength. And uh, so I served in a ton of leadership callings, including being a bishop. Uh, I was a bishop for, for five years uh, back in 1991 to 96, ward mission leader a bunch of times, young men's president for the stake, public affairs director for the stake. I'm a high council more than once. 
um, high priest group leader. Uh, okay, so there's some Mormon cred for you. I, well, I was going to say, I mean, there's a lot of, for we don't have an LDS or Mormon perspective. So for our audience, it's Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, sometimes made into the acronym LDS, and then also sometimes referred to as a Mormon church. I think primarily we'll bounce between Mormon and LDS here for our purposes tonight. But Sam, you're checking off all the boxes for the, you know, you, you know, putting the church first, that relationship with God, so to speak, but really it's the the folks in Salt Lake City. And, you know, you, you did all the things, you know, you got baptized when you were supposed to, you did your mission, you did the bishop thing. Um, but what is a Mormon bishop and how is that different from being a pastor, let's say in an evangelical church or in another denomination? So in the Mormon church, all the leadership, the local leadership is um, oh, a volunteer, or I'm not even sure volunteer is the right word. They're unpaid. You're asked to do things. You don't usually raise your hand and say, hey, I want to be bishop. No, somebody asks you to be bishop, somebody ab higher um, above you. The None of the local leaders are paid. So a bishop it's kind of a full-time job where you still have your regular job that you're going to work to, um, to, but you're in charge of a congregation. So it's like being a pastor with zero training. So you don't get any training. You're not paid. Um, you're asked one day, my wife and I, and it's really is considered a great honor to be called uh, to be a bishop, but it is a huge responsibility. Uh, in my congregation, there were probably 700 members on the rolls. Generally, we would have about 200 people that would be in the congregation uh, every Sunday, but there were a lot more folks um, that were actually members in the area that didn't come to church, but you're still, they're part of your congregation. Wow. So how did you, and as, as a bishop, uh, how do you handle issues that come up that require pastoral counseling? Oh. <laughs> okay i was so lame at this so people come in for did you think counseling. you were did you Pardon? think you were lame at the back of the time did you think you were lame at the time absolutely i did oh my gosh okay so you talk about authenticity well i i'm pretty authentic at recognizing that i don't know what the hell i was doing back then <laughs> at the time i didn't know but here's so every Sunday I would get to church about six o'clock in the morning and it's all dark. You, you, you walk in, you turn the lights on, you see that, well, it rained and stuff fell off from the seat, the roof onto the floor. So you got a vacuum cleaner out, clean that up. And then you went in your office and almost every Sunday, this thought hit me. I'm not the smartest guy in this congregation. I'm not the most spiritual guy. I really don't know how to do what I'm going to face, how to face the things I'm going to face today. But I am only here for one reason, because Jesus Christ wants me to be here. That's the, that what I have behind my back is that he has put me in this position. That's what I believed back then. Um, but that, that was what gave me the confidence. Okay, geez, I got another whole day ahead of me where people are going to be in and out of this office with all kinds of issues. And then we've got to run the ward and all the auxiliaries or all the organizations in the ward address all that stuff. And then you got all the kids to worry about. 
So um, no, I felt very inadequate at it. And so it was kind of, I mean, I, I probably was overconfident and prideful sometimes that, hey, I know what I'm doing in this, but I really didn't. Because you have zero training for it and you don't really get any training. Um, here is the training that I remember uh, with regards to counseling, pastoral type of counseling. Uh, they asked us to bring our, the, all congregations have a women's organization called the Relief Society. And your Relief Society president is an important person in that congregation to the bishop because she runs the women's organization. And I don't know if this is in all um, organizations, but women pretty much do all, all the hard work and the men kind of do the easier stuff or the stuff that doesn't require a lot of organization and thought. Um, that, passes, that passes a sniff test, yeah. Yeah, okay. So anyway, she, they asked that I bring the Relief Society president to this particular training. And the, uh, so they talked about when you receive, when somebody comes in to confess, I'm sure they said other things, but this is the only thing I remember. The person giving the training, and this was a trained uh, social worker, counselor kind of person. So she would have had a master's degree. She worked for the church, um, LDS social services at the time. Anyway, she said, when somebody comes in and confesses, don't do this. <laughs> So, and I thought, okay, so that's a good piece of counseling, but that's about all I got. And um, so, uh, because you, people do come in and tell you stuff that is kind of shocking and you don't know how to respond to it. But and I, so there's one piece of counseling. The other counseling I got that I remember was the very same meeting. So there's my Relief Society president and me with other bishops, maybe 10 other bishops in their Relief Society presidents. And uh, so they asked us to pair up, uh, uh, well, we're already paired up kind of, but move your chairs so you're facing each other. Now, what I'd like you to do, says the female uh, LDS social services representative, is tell the other person or describe to the other person your most recent um, experience of making love with your spouse. <laughs> That's what they want me to do. Well, so it turns out I'm an idiot in so many ways. The Relief Society president was quite a bit older. Um, and she said, well, my husband and I haven't had sex in 20 years. Well, you know, I don't know that people want to be telling other folks that, but that's what she immediately said. And so now it's, I'm looking at her and I'm expected to tell her about my last experience. So I did, you idiot, I did. And uh, after, now after it's over, um, then you have a little chatter amongst, and nobody else had done that. Everybody has said they're so embarrassed they weren't gonna tell this Relief Society president of their sexual experience. And the, the, the moral of the story, she said, was I just wanted you to get a feeling for how uncomfortable it is for somebody to come in and talk to you about uh, a sexual experience that they're confessing. Um, okay, so those are my two pieces of training that I remembered. 
Um, it's very, very sparse. You get any training on how to count. So that kind of leads into our worthiness interview stuff, you know, what we're talking about. So um, talk a little bit about, before we jump into the next question, but what, what is the purpose of a worthiness interview, either at the adult or in the, but more specifically targeted towards youth? Okay, well, so first of all, I hope you realize that I think worthiness, talking about worthiness with anybody, is totally ridiculous. It's harmful, especially to children, because when you talk about worthiness, the child, and frankly, I think all of us, but certainly children, are going to be thinking about worth. Are what is their worth in front of God? Well, they should be confident that their worth is gigantic in front of God, not that their worth is so low that they can't do certain things in the church. So the worthiness. The concept of worthiness is to determine whether or not that child is worthy to for certain advancements or participate in certain ordinances. So if you're going to be receiving the priesthood, well, you're going to be asked the worthiness questions. One of those being, do you live the law of chastity? If you're a girl and you're advancing because girls in the church don't get any priesthood or authority, you just get moved from one class to the next. Uh, if you're turning 14, you're going to be moved to a higher class. So you're going to ask the worthiness questions to make sure they're worthy for that. Or if they're going to the temple. Well, there's a certain set of questions to determine if you qualify to go to the temple. Again, they're all worthiness questions like and the law of chastity. Can you take a moment and explain what the temple is for our non-LDS listeners? Okay. So the chapels, uh, those are open uh, during on Sunday for Sunday meetings and they're open Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday for other meetings like youth meetings, women's meetings, um, sports, those kind of things. The temp and, the, and that is open to anybody. The temple is not open on Sundays. Uh, it's not open on Mondays. It's open the other days for certain hours, but only members of the church that hold what is called a temple recommend can enter the temple. So they have to go to their bishop and be asked a set of uh, 13 or 14 questions uh, to de determine if they are worthy to go participate in ordinances that are only performed in the temples. And it's only through doing that that you're allowed in into uh, in, into heaven. Is that is that correct? Is that uh... Am I am I incorrect about that? No, you're correct. So, so to me, it sounds to me like there is a because uh, human beings, uh, especially once they hit puberty, have certain urges that are really hard to deal with, and it sounds to me like there is a big premium on lying your ass off in the Mormon Church about sex. Because if you have to see if 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 you say if you answer truthfully like you did in this confrontation in, in this situation you get you're almost in trouble so you have to of course say of course i'm chest of course i'm chased even if you're masturbating three times a day you're gonna of course say that otherwise you're gonna go to you know it's like it, to me that sounds like a no-win situation for somebody who wants to be honest with themselves about their life that doesn't mean they'll be asked all the questions every six months but if they're advancing in the priesthood or advancing to a class or going to the temple um they are going to be asked the questions um, so and that starts at age 11 
through 18. Uh, and while I was very, you know, talking to tons of people, um, when I would speak at a number of places, I would ask, and there were LDS people who were there, I would ask a couple of questions. Number one, how many of you were asked? Um, well, then I was just saying, how many of you were asked if you masturbate? Because that's, the question should be, do you live the law of chastity? But many bishops have been told, ask about masturbation. And if you find out somebody's um, made out or French kissed, we'll ask them more de detailed questions. You found out they made that they had sex. Well, then you really ask them super explicit questions. Okay, so I asked the question to groups of people um, where you asked, do you masturbate when you were a kid? 50%, at least 50% always raised their hands and said that they were asked um, explicit questions. Often it was more than that, but it was absolutely always at least 50% had been asked that question. The next question is, did you lie about that? About 50% of those who were asked lied about it. So here's the interesting thing. And, and so members of the church will say, no, you got to ask those questions because we don't want kids going to the temple that are um, breaking the law of chastity. We don't want kids that are masturbating to be in that temple. Well, here's, guess what you get when you ask these questions? What happens is the kids that are masturbating and they tell the truth, they're not gonna go. The kids that are masturbating and lie about it, and that's about half of them, well, they're gonna go. So now you have eliminated the honest kids and given them great shame. And you've got the lying masturbators who are in that temple doing the ordinances. So it just, you know, it, it's screwy all the way around. And they prob there's probably also shame involved with that. They're, they got there from lying and they've been told that this is a, this is a sin. A venal, and then so there's probably, I mean, you're just basically installing, it's a no-win situation, really. If you're, if you're truthful about it, you're going you're gonna to feel outside. You're going gonna to feel left out. If you lie and you get in, you're going to feel unworthy about it because you know you lied to get yeah, in. There are so many ways that kids are shamed. Now, some kids, uh, they don't, you know, there's a spectrum for everything. Some kids can lie and masturbate and they don't have any problems. They're not going to feel the shame. And then you've got the kids that are super sensitive that you're gonna drive them into self-loathing from the shame that they've experienced. Just talking about it with a bishop, that's a ton of shame right there that they're gonna feel before the bishop, before God. And then if they <clears throat> restrict privileges, like you can't, like the boys pass, the administer the bread and water for the sacrament. And if a kid is told, well, you, you have for the next three weeks until you quit masturbating, you can't pass the sacrament. Well, that's a big red letter all kinds of shame. You can't go to the temple. Everybody else is going to the temple. The other kids may not be thinking of it, but they may. But the kid that's not going, he is going to be thinking, everybody knows why I'm not going. And so the shame is can be massive and lead to really bad consequences. Well, and the, the consequences there are real. And, you know, I was talking to a therapist friend of mine who you know, was talking about the lying and the shame and this just becomes a vicious circle within the Mormon community and especially, you know, and I did a research paper this past summer on LGBTQ youth within the Mormon church, the anxiety, the depression, the PTSD and everything that comes out of that, especially within LGBTQ and trans communities in the Mormon church, that that's a real risk. And that's where a lot of this stuff is coming from. So, you know, you know, we're 
were you paying attention or were were you, were you in tune with that yet you know as a bishop back in the 90s or or were you still come to grip, grips with all this stuff i was clueless so as a bishop i love the, the honesty it, sam thank you <laughs> as a bishop the thought never entered my mind to ask a kid do you masturbate it, it never why would it enter um, um your mind to sit down with a kid and say oh do you masturbate under or over your panties how many fingers do you, these are just so gross anyway i never thought to ask a question beyond you live the law of chastity and I very seldom asked that. I only asked that if they were going to the temple and it was just checking off the boxes. I probably had kids lie to me, but I was not pressing for details. So I'm hoping they didn't feel bad um, afterwards, but I didn't, I wasn't inflicting, I'm sure I inflicted shame, but nothing like grilling them with an interrogation of sexually explicit questions. So I never thought of doing that. Hey, Penny, your eyes just lit up when you, heard Sam's description. What are you thinking as a non or never Mormon about what Sam just spoke about? Well, I've been, yeah, I, I've said it a couple of times. This is, just sounds like a, a, a system that is ripe for control by shame. Uh, and, and even if there, even if, and, and one of the things I was thinking about as a, as a parent, and I was putting myself in the, in the, in the role of a, of a, of a parent in the Mormon church, the LDS church, Okay, and my son comes home and says, okay, I can't go to temple. How do you have that conversation with your parents? There's even additional shame on top of that. And the only ones that, the only ones that can get through here are the ones who have no shame, who, have no, who, who don't give a shit about lying. I mean, they're the ones. And they, so it's, it, it sounds to me like a system that is built for manip, master manipulators manipulating masterfully. Um, it, and it, it's, and I'm, and I'm also like, okay, again, the, the, the same thing that we talked about earlier, before we started recording, we talked about, you know, you're, you were like, you feel like a kinship with, uh, with, with queer folk. And I said, I think it's because you seem to be like a very straightforward, open person. You, you don't really are, don't live, you don't live for control. You don't live for shaming people. You don't live for trying to be above or below someone. It seems like he's trying to live. A, a, a very holy life, a very useful life. And so it feels like the church is the, the Mormon church is running counter that to that in so many ways. Well, I absolutely think the Mormon church in many ways runs counter to that. But now, just so you know, I'm totally human with all kinds of problems. <laughs> of course you are. Of course, that's part of it. Absolutely. Admitting we have problems is it. And it, it, but it's but, you know, making sex a problem Making a big, making it a bigger deal in a way, in an attempt to, to nullify it, it's just, it's it's heinous as far as I'm concerned. That's that's my whole thing. It's like, oh my god, I did not know how fucked up the Mormon Church is in a lot of these ways, and it's just, it's heartbreaking to hear it. Excuse my language. So I collected a whole bunch of stories, um, of over a thousand stories, and I still have more than I need to put on the website, but over a thousand stories of children that were significantly, very significantly harmed in these interviews. And you read um, what happened to them as a result of these bishop interviews. And it, it is grotesque um, what was done, what they suffered. Um, I, many of them still suffer from the shame. I mean, it's hard to get rid of that. That shame 
come is taken into your marriage, is taken to later, later life. Um, I've had people in their 70s say, Sam, I'm still struggling with the shame that I felt when I was a kid because of, well, let's see, you'd ask uh, Amy to, okay, I don't know the hand signals yet. This means one. Oh, that was just, I was pointing towards Penny, don't worry. <laughs> Is my by land? Is that the way it works? No, 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 like no. She's 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 calling for a fastball, and I want to do a changeup. So that's what's going on here. No, I'm sorry. Yeah. So please continue on with what you were talking about. Um, so Amy, you'd asked me about what I thought about this as a bishop. So uh, first of all, I wasn't asking any questions that were prying. I never even thought to do that. But I was interviewing kids all alone. Oh, I didn't give that a second thought either. It really hadn't burst onto the scene yet of we need to make sure that our kids are not alone with people. I think it was starting to, but back in that time, it certainly wasn't there. And hey, I believed everything the church told you to do, so I was doing it no matter what. And I just didn't see any harm in it. It wasn't until a few years later, I started to hear that bishops were asking about masturbation. Some kids were not able to go to the go on their mission because of masturbation. They had to fix that per first. But none of that resonated or didn't cause us any gears to turn because I wasn't being asked to do it. I wasn't hearing much about it. It, when the gears kicked in, is when, so we have a, there used to be a program called Home Teaching where you were assigned a number of families that you were supposed to visit every month. I thought it was pretty good. I enjoyed visiting families and trying to help them out and be their friend. Well, anyway, one of my friends hadn't come to church for a long time. And he one day said, Sam, I'm going to tell you why I don't go to church. He told me about his son who that, that several years before, like 10 years before, his son had been um, asked to come talk to the bishop. Um, he was worried about it. The father said, my friend said, don't worry about it. Just go in there and have the interview and it's perfectly fine. And I'll be out here on the couch sitting here that if anything happens in the hall. Well, a few minutes later, his son rushes out, um, flush, uh, nervous, and said, look, dad, he just asked me if I masturbate and if I have sex with other boys. My friend was incensed. He walked in there, told the bishop, if you ever ask my son a question like that again, I will beat you to a pulp. Well, he... Um, they didn't come back to church. Now, his son was the same age as I had, I've got six daughters. Uh, one of my daughters was about the same age. I put this out on the internet, just asking, were you guys asked about this, about masturbation? I got a flood of response along with all the horror stories of not just masturbation, all kinds of other things and how badly it impacted. Well, so I was talking to people for a couple of months and finally I, it clicked, you know, like things don't snap with me immediately. It finally clicked that, geez, maybe I'd ask my own children if they were asked these questions. So I asked my daughter who at the time was, I think 26 or seven. And she says, yes, dad, when I was 12 years old, I was asked if I masturbated and I didn't know what it meant. <clears throat> so I just said, no. Um, but then I asked my friends, none of them knew, none of those 12 year olds knew what that meant. So dad, I went to the internet, I found pornography, I found what masturbation was and how to do it. That was introduced to me by my bishop. So I asked, were you ever asked again? He said, yes, all the time during those six years in the youth, she was asked that, honey, did you ever lie? 
Yes, dad, just like all the other kids lied. So I'm sitting there thinking, I am now, this is now personal. It's no longer, oh, it might be happening. It was personal. I was incensed. I was angry. That launched me on the thing of, this should be a no-brainer, right? Nobody, everybody should realize you don't take a kid behind closed doors anymore, not in today's environment. And you don't ask these sexually explicit questions. <clears throat> so that's what launched me on this. I was going to say, you know, not not in any environment is that healthy. And, you know, but thank God that we have people like you and others now that are bringing attention to these issues. But, you know, you're also talking about people that you heard from that were submitting stories but how many stories did you ever hear from any family members of people that had children that committed suicide because of these interviews? I think we'll let that stand on its own. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's been an interesting journey. So, uh, met a couple and they had submitted their story but I met them so I did a 23-day fast to raise awareness for this and uh, met this couple uh, the man I probably 40 early 40s he had been raped by his bishop concerned about letting your children alone with a man behind closed doors this man was raped by his bishop I won't go into all the details, but you think that affected him for his whole life? Yeah, he never, ever got over that. Well, it turned out, I didn't know at the time, but they lived here in Houston. Both he and his wife came to my excommunication trial, uh, September of 2018. A year later, he uh, took his life, uh, died by suicide. <clears throat> So have kids died by suicide? Yes, there are several um, instances of that. There's a couple instances of that on the website if you go there. Uh, so yeah, the shame can be so great that, um, I mean, this man, I mean, it went beyond just being asked questions. But there was another boy that's on the website that um, took his own life simply because he couldn't stop masturbating. And he continued to be asked about it, continued to be shamed. And finally, he felt like <clears throat> it wasn't worth living anymore. Well over, I would say maybe 70% of the stories include uh, suicide ideation as a result of this. About 50% of the stories have that they attempted suicide. Um, and then there are a few that we're aware of that did. Um, die by suicide. And there's a couple other ones that I just don't want to talk about. That's very brave of you to, to, to talk about this. And um, I'm, I'm glad that you're doing the, the, uh, the work that you're doing in this. And I'm so sorry to hear of what has, of what has happened and what is happening directly contributed to by this particular heinous activity by bishops. And you mentioned your excommunication. Um, so the result of, of you pointing out to the, the Latter-day Saints Church of this 
horrible, destructive uh, practice that they're doing. And they said, okay, you can't, you can't be part of us anymore. That was their reaction? Well, there were a couple other reactions before that happened. Um, there were several uh, events that we sponsored. Uh, one of those, we did a march in Salt Lake City. Oh, darn, I just put my book away. But I published um, printed books of stories for each one of the top leaders of the church, 15 top leaders, apostles, is what they're called in Mormon church. And a thousand of us gathered on the streets of Salt Lake City, and we marched to the um, church headquarters and delivered the books. Um, <clears throat> but the... And there, we'd been publicizing this a lot, promoting it a lot. And uh, three days before the march, the church announced a change in their interview policy. Yes, we got something good changed. Uh, and this was their change. <clears throat> uh, they uh, put it in policy that if the child requests, there may be another person permitted in the interview. Now, I had calls from the newspaper, from the TV, <clears throat> um, from friends of mine that are active Mormons, asking me, Sam, are you gonna call off your march now that the church has made the change? Well, it took me about 30 seconds to process the change the church had made and to say, okay, so this is, I can say certain words, Absolutely. any words. Any word. Took about 30 seconds and said, God damn it, no. There's no way in hell I'm going to change this. This change is significant, but it's so dinky. What child is going to snap to the fact that they are in great danger going in all alone, all alone and that they're going to tell the leader of this organization that represents God that, oh, I, I kind of want my mommy to be in the interview. No, that it's going to do very little. Um, and it's up to the child to protect themselves in this thing. No, it should be across the board. You don't do one on inter one of interviews. And you said nothing about these egregious questions. Couldn't I was asking for no explicit questions. Well, okay, you can ask. I, I have a problem with asking, do you live the law of chastity? But if you limit it to that, that would be so much better than allowing the bishops to ask all these other crappy, explicit questions that you never talk to adults about these things. You and I wouldn't. I would be embarrassed to even bring up the stuff that the bishops are asking children. Uh, but anyway, the change was made. And although it was dinky, fortunately, the newspapers got it wrong. And they announced um, church changes policy to allow parents in the interview. Great. Okay. But they didn't give the details of it. But that really sent a message to a whole bunch of parents, to church members, that, by golly, I want to be on that interview. They hadn't heard that the kid needs to ask for it. So there, there started to be, and I don't know how widespread it was, but I know that there were a lot of parents that decided they were going to make sure their child was not interviewed alone and they were going to for, for, forbid ex, uh, explicit questions, protect their children from that. Now, I can't remember what the question was I'm answering. answering. That's fine. No, your answer is perfect. So, you know, for, for, this is just a great reminder of why I put this into my divorce settlement was because 
I had to write an interview recently to our to our local bishop who wanted to interview one of my my youngest child, and I said point blank, I said, you will never have one to one access with my child in a, behind closed doors or in a Zoom call. I don't care what setting it is. You are never going to have one to one access with my child. And he kind of gave me some attitude back on it on the email, but I but I stuck to my guns. But the other side of this is is and I even said this in the in there, you know, and this is this is the damned if you do, damned if you don't scenario. I'm in as the ex-Mormon parent. If I don't let my child go through this process, then I am taking away these rites of passage from my child as a Mormon youth. And so that puts me in this really awkward position. But yet, so I consent to this, but I tell the tell the bishop. The only question you can ask is, do you follow the law of chastity? It is a yes-no answer. If my daughter answers yes, we continue on with the interview. If my daughter answers no, we we end the interview in that real time. We take our kid home. They talk to us. They talk to their counselor. We go back to you. We do another interview. And if the child answers yes, we just continue on. And at no time will you ever be made privy to the information we discussed with our child because that is none of your business as a middle-aged man interviewing my daughter who is now 11. 11! No. I rarely see you this worked up, Amy. And um, this... I'm so glad to hear that you do that. And I'm so glad that you you have that presence and that awareness. Um, is your is your ex-wife uh, on board with this, Amy? <sighs> or do you want me to just... I don't want to speak to her directly because I don't... I don't if you want me to cut this out, her... we can do that too. No, no. I, this is the way I'm going to answer that question. When we were walking through the mediation process and I explained the Mormon worthiness interview to youth to the mediator, her eyes lit up and we live in New York State. So that's, you know, so when and she saw the response from me on this issue and basically her reaction was absolute horror like yours is, Penny, as a non-Mormon. And she specifically said, you do not want this going to a judge. Amy will get everything she wants on this topic. And that's where we're at here in New York. So so that's how I'm going to answer that question. Great answer. Thank you for doing that, Amy. Thank you. And but but Sam, that's because of you. you what you did in 2017 by starting this train rolling. It's because of you you're here. Because of you, you've had to hear these stories nobody should hear. And yeah, I have a passion for this, but my passion's to help my daughter. My passion's to help other kids not be exposed to this crap. This is the hill I will die on when it comes to my kid and other people. Hallelujah. So, Sam, you have six daughters. Um, do you have any grandchildren right now? Are they, are they Mormon? I have 14 grandchildren. Um, about, so three of my daughters are still active in the church, raising their children in the church. And I support that, um, even though their church kicked me out, labeled me an apostate and an evil person that's going 
to the worst hell you can imagine. Um, never to see my children or wife again after I die. So that's what they're true. See, see you there, buddy. Them. See you there. Yeah, okay. But um, but I, I certainly support them. If they feel that's the best place for their children, I'm good with that. I think all of them are going to protect their children from these interviews. Um, but that means I've got three children that are not in the Mormon church. Out of my 14 grandchildren, five of them are not being raised in the church. Nine of them are. How is this affecting your family to have uh, you, who are a bulwark in the Mormon community, and certainly sound like you were tagged for going on and doing like some, you, you did you did do an awful lot of uh, the work of the Mormon church in, in, in the world. Uh, it looked like you were being groomed for like a, a, a tremendous position in there to all of a sudden not be part of the Mormon church anymore. How, how has that affected your family? It was tough uh, for a while. It still is a little bit tough sometimes, uh, but none of my children felt like I should be excommunicated. Uh, none of them think I'm going to go to hell. That means they don't believe the doctrine of their own church, um, but they, they, they appreciate what I've done. Well, any, any, any place that uh, allows people who to do this to children uh, is by definition in, in my book, not, not heaven. Uh, any place that, that keeps people uh, away, people like you out of there for speaking the truth and for being an advocate uh, cannot be heaven. Um, so if, if that's hell, I'm, I'll be happy. I'd, I'd rather be in your hell than their heaven, quite frankly. Um, I'm, I'm sure we'd have better conversations if nothing else. So, yeah, so what's, so you, let, let me ask you this, you, the way you set yourself up and, and, and the excommunication, you've kind of just like glossed over it. Uh, but that had to be hard for you. That had to be really hard for you. So um, what led up to that, I've been given warnings by the church leadership that I needed to shut your mouth, <laughs> sit down. Um, in fact, in the excommunication letter, which I happened to bring here, I happen to have here um, with me, my excommunication letter, it uh, says that I was being excommunicated because I was did go public about this. And the, the reason that I went public, I talked to my bishop, I talked to the regional leader, um, they said there was no problem. I got this book of all these stories, these horrendous things. My daughter was asked if she masturbated. I got six daughters, four of them were asked questions. Do you have anal sex? Who? What man, you pervert, God, it, okay, yeah. yes, I can still get angry about stuff. Um, so um, they, anyway, they said there was no problem. They said that, I said, well, I'd like to talk to the higher ups, the apostles. And we said, well, they don't talk to anybody. You have to write them letters. So I wrote several letters. Of course, I never got one whit of response. So we did the March in Salt Lake. We got all this publicity um, all over the place, which raised awareness to the issue. Uh, we did the March in Salt Lake, and then I did this 23-day um, fast. And uh, very public, up in Salt Lake City, across the street from my iconic Temple Square. Every night I did a, a 
broadcast, a Facebook live broadcast, about 500,000 people watched that over the course of 23 days. It was just an amazing event. We had all kinds of people, probably a thousand people that came down during the, uh, uh, to, to those things across the street from Salt Lake City. So it raised a ton of awareness, again, got a ton of attention. And, uh, and at that point I thought I've done enough. Um, I've got to get back to my life, get back to working. <laughs> I, I still have a living uh, a career I need to provide for my family. Anyway, so, uh, but a week after they sent me the letter saying that they were going to hold a church court, which is a kangaroo court. It's not going to be court. They're just going to excommunicate me. And uh, so I held the court. I decided I'm using this to gain as much publicity as possible. So I was very public about that. Usually when somebody gets excommunicated, it's for something kind of bad. Um, and you raped somebody or you had sex with your neighbor or you, you know, something bad. Uh, you murdered somebody. You, anyway, uh, but there's no way I wasn't going to use this to raise additional awareness. So they held the court um, about maybe 100, 150 people came to that thing that night. It was just delightful to have all that support outside. They wouldn't let anybody inside except my wife and I. And then uh, they sent me, delivered the letter to me. Here's the envelope that was sent to me. No, delivered to me. They don't mail it. They just, they, they bring it to your house. In this case, I wasn't home. They brought it to my office. And uh, I decided I'm not opening that here. I'm going to fly to Salt Lake City in three days, hold a press conference. We had a bunch of people come all. But so here was how it was hard on me. And it still is hard. But it was hard when I read the letter excommunication. I was hoping it wouldn't be. But it was just this huge disappointment that I had dedicated my life to this institution. And this is their response to protecting children. They're going to excommunicate the guy that's bringing this up in to try to protect children. It was a huge disappointment. There was a, my, again, my family rallied around me, uh, but my community that I'd built up over 40 years of being here in Houston, the Houston area. I mean, I'd worked alongside of so many people, hundreds of people for friends that all disappeared, just was gone in a whiff of smoke that, and that, that still, when I like, right, just thinking about it right now, uh, I used to have a ton of friends. I've got a ton of friends now that are new friends, but the friends I had for years um, just evaporated with that. And that's kind of disappointing. Did they ever reach out to you? Do you ever talk to any of the people from the Mormon church? Or are you like, uh, like a ghost? You, are you like, uh, are you shunned? Well, in the Mormon church, there, there are some folks like the uh, oh, Jehovah's Witness that do have kind of a formal shunning thing. There's no formal shunning. It's very informal, but not a single leader has ever reached out to me. Um, and <clears throat> my regional leader, the stake president, Amy, <clears throat> um, I when I did, you can appeal to the president, of the, to the prophet. There's only one prophet on this earth that speaks for God, just so you know, Penny, and it's the president of the Mormon church. Anyway, <clears throat> you can appeal it to him. And uh, they sustained communication. And when that was delivered to me, I asked my state president, so I've got some questions. When could we meet? And he said, Sam, I am never, ever going to meet with you again. 
just looking at, wow, that sure sounds like being cut off and about as unloving as possible, uncross Christ. Like the guy that holds the authority to get me back into the church, he said, uh, never meeting with your sorry ass again. Anyway, so I, I have reached out, like during this pandemic, I've reached out to many of my friends. <clears throat> I can count on this many fingers, none, the number of people have reached out to me. Now I've caught call a whole bunch of people just to check and see how they're doing. These are my friends. What's happening? They're older. What's happened during the pandemic? So that, that kind of hurts. Yeah. Is it I'm worth pretty... it? Is it worth it? Oh, is it worth it? <laughs> oh my gosh. I know that great healing has occurred in so many people's lives because of this movement. That alone is gigantic, where they're shared their stories of how meaningful this was. I know that there are many children that are not being asked these questions, that are not going to experience the shame, self-loathing, suicidal thoughts, suicidal attempts, and take that into their marriage and the rest of their life. No, is it worth it? Absolutely. Now, I don't know if there's a God. You, you guys probably know if there's a God or not, but I don't know if there is one. But here's what I love. I love the, the um, uh, gospel, the teachings, and example of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> I can stand on my two, I can stand up anywhere and say, you know what? I embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ. I sat by the lonely, the sick, the <clears throat> infirm, <clears throat> and loved them and protected them. So, so I know there's a huge degree of satisfaction. Will I do it again? Absolutely. And we haven't even talked about all the other costs that this is, we don't have time for all that, but there's more costs than we haven't even talked about here. But absolutely, I would be involved in a noble endeavor like this again. It's very worthwhile. Well, we thank you for being so making this so worthwhile we thank you for your time but i have a couple lighter hearted questions for you before we depart um being in your 60s so you being excommunicated now doesn't mean that you can wear the mormon garment which is also known um in our society as mormon underwear it's a real thing um you know are you are you a jockey man or are you wearing the briefs you know what, what you know what? oh no on. no oh he's not gonna show us oh my god he's not gonna show us oh no let's kill his, no! let's kill his, let's kill his video feed he ran away oh my god oh what are we looking at it's just a thin pair of gabardine <laughs> what the hell are we looking at okay sam is over yeah. grabbing some okay well what is that it's his. That's a pair of boxers. Oh, oh my oh. God. I'm, <laughs> I'm so glad man. to see that that's all that that was. I had no idea what you're going to show me. I'm so relieved, Sam, that this you are a boxer man and not like thongs or something like that. that well, you got to hear the story on this. Okay, Those sure. Those boxers were here in the office. I just saw them again the other day. They had been out of my consciousness for about five years now. But November 2015, before all this started, the Mormon church... <clears throat> Um, made a policy that children of gay or lesbian parents could not enjoy any of the blessings of the Mormon church. They couldn't be baptized. They couldn't be blessed. They couldn't go on a mission. They couldn't receive the priesthood. When that was announced, 
I left the church that day. That last, I only left for a day. But when I heard that, I was so upset that this is not Christ. This is not Christ-like punishing children for something that you think their parents did. No. <clears throat> so, Amy, I drove to, I heard it on the way to work. Uh, I got off the freeway, went to a department store and bought boxers for the first time in since I was in my teens. Okay. I went and bought boxers, took my garments off and wore boxers for one day until my wife found out about it. She was concerned. And I mean, that, that horrified her. And she talked oh, about yeah. my, my garments went right back on and I yeah, wore them. But I, I kept the boxers up here until I was excommunicated. And I still had one pair of boxers here. So anyway, when the church was, did something that was going to harm LGBT children hugely, that was it. And I started voting opposed in, in all the conferences board conference, state conference. I even went to general conference and voted opposed. So so real quick, so what voting opposed means is that in um, ward conferences, state conferences, which are local and regional conferences where members get together, and then general conferences, the worldwide gathering in the church, and there's about 20,000 people in Salt Lake City. If you vote opposed, the, the, basically what you're voting on, Generally speaking, there's a unanimous, it's unanimous vote of saying, yeah, everybody believes that the Mormon church, the leaders of the church are prophets, seers, and revelators. And it looks like everybody votes, you know, and it's affirmative. Everybody believes this. What Sam's doing is saying, no, I don't believe this crap anymore. And voting opposes a very public statement of like, no, I don't believe everything that's coming out of your mouth. So that's a brave, brave stance to take in mormon culture something i never did so you know that that is amazing so so sam since since you gave up the mormon underwear um we're going to talk about the word of wisdom for a second um which which prohibits alcohol um coffee but you can have diet pepsi or mountain or energy drinks mountain dew that type of thing but what type of beverages have you partaken in since your excommunication? And is there anything that's surprisingly been one of your favorites? The Mormon church says I'm going to hell because I stood up to protect children. Fine. But if that doesn't really send me to hell, I'm doing something that definitely does. <laughs> I'm enjoying coffee and alcohol. So I have a coffee almost every day. Now, it took me a little while to get used to it, but boy, do I ever love that. And then that does send you to hell. And then I've started um, for the last year. So, you know, I'm talking about I'm 67 at this point in time. It wasn't until I was 66 that I tasted an alcoholic beverage. And I tell you, that was nasty, just like coffee was nasty. <clears throat> but I've gone through the, you know, the experimentation phase of going through all the cocktails and the margaritas and the whatevers and finally settled on. I'm now trying scotch, straight alcohol. So... Anyway, um, and I don't do it very often. I've drank, two, I, I know two scotches I've now tried. So it's been, it's kind of a fun adventure at, in my, not old age, but older than middle age, yeah. middle age yeah. plus years <laughs> to be experiencing. Well, I tell you this much, it's been great talking with you. And if we ever get past this COVID thing, we found ourselves, I'm going to buy you a scotch and we're going to drink what yeah. we're going to talk. <laughs> or maybe an Irish coffee, best of both worlds. Maybe a little bit of like whiskey and a cup of coffee. And boy, we'll just great. go together with a shot of whiskey on the side. Super. Well, I'd love that. Thank you so much for spending this wonderful time with us. And uh, 
I, I've, I'm just so glad I have a chance to meet you. It's just great learning uh, so much about you. And uh, if you're going to hell, I'm going to walk there beside you. Okay? <laughs> okay. Thank you. Thank you very great much. Great to meet right you guys. You too. Great also. to meet you too. We'll be right back with our wrap-up. This is Transformation Thursday. To financially support Transformation Thursday, go to TransformationThursday.com and that will bring you to our Patreon page. Once there, click on the Become a Patron button. You can also follow us online on Facebook. You can follow us by searching for Transformation Thursday Podcast. And please join our private Facebook group by searching Transformation Thursday on Facebook. On Twitter and Instagram, you can follow us at TransThursPod. To make sure you stay up to date with all the latest episodes, please subscribe to the Transformation Thursday Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google podcast or wherever you get your podcasts on apple Podcasts, please leave us a five-star rating and a short review it's free and it does help get transformation thursday out to a larger audience finally transformation thursday is copyrighted material all rights reserved 2020 welcome back to transformation thursday my name is penny sterling and as always my pronouns are she her and I am Amy Stevens still, and my pronouns are she, her as well. And we still have Sam on. Sam, you never announced your pronouns. What are your pronouns? Oh, man. I mean, is it he? He. He, him. him. Me. He, yeah, him. Yeah, there you go. I've never given my pronouns before. That's a first. Congratulations. Yeah, I think his are he, him, howdy, because he's from Texas. Yes, there we go. Okay. Yeehaw. Well, Sam, just, just to let you know, and this we'll, we'll do a quick wrap here, and we're going to be talking about what we took away from today's. Um, but Penny, what did you what did what are you taking away from this episode? I, I my my takeaway is that Sam has the lamest yeehaw of anybody from Texas I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> no, my my take my takeaway is uh, the the authenticity and and the the strive for authenticity and bravery and actually trying to follow. Uh, follow a, a, a Christ-like life will sometimes take you away from organizations. And Sam was willing to sacrifice uh, his entire uh, religious upbringing, his, his religious grounding for what he believed and what I believe was the right thing to do. And I'm just, I'm just amazed at that. And I'm, I'm as, just as amazed as, at, at his willingness to, to do that as I am, as, uh, as, uh, as I am outraged at the fact that he had to quite frankly what about you yeah my my big takeaway is is that you know sam was talking one of the key points that we blew by pretty quickly but sam was talking about that point where some kids are really good at lying and it can really set that aside and bracket that out of their lives and compartmentalize that but there's other kids that can't and they really take that and they have a really hard time with that and I really think that's where my 11-year-old would end up in that in that second category. And, you know, so having Sam on and hear him talk about that process of coming to terms with these interviews, his activism for them, and how that affected my family life. Because really what it comes down to, it is about me and how we worked through this as a family to protect our child from these interviews but the good thing is is i will say you know this is where i am going to step in and, and answer something from my ex-wife's perspective is that she really does see how that could be damaging for our for our daughter so i'm i really am thankful that she does notify me of interviews notifies me of these requests and does give me the opportunity to um you know be involved in that part portion of my child's life so you know, 
his activism is benefiting my family in a very personal, distinct way. So, Sam, you're still here. So what was what was your big takeaway from all this? I've got two, one positive and one pretty negative. So I hope you don't mind if I'm authentic and give you. Well, let's 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 end let let's end on the positive. How's that? No, I'm going to do it my way. <laughs> okay. Okay. So so here's the positive. Um, it is um, so validating to hear what you are doing, Amy, for your child to stand up and protect your child in the face of this. It, organization so that is huge so that that's a big thing to, to, to witness that personally so thank you the negative oh here it goes i realized as we were talking that i spend way too little time hanging out with transgender people i would love to be able to change that well we're fabulous and you can hang out with us anytime it's it, like it's it's really hard you're in houston now in houston uh-huh i'm you sure know, that, yeah. I'm sure we had some transgender folks come to the um, uh, those 23 days. So you're out on the street and people come by, you just get to know them and get to love them. And one day a guy from the, that works in the church headquarters and has held some really responsible positions, he came over to me and said, Sam, you are really losing a lot of credibility by hanging out with these weirdos. I jumped back and thought, oh my gosh. Um, isn't that what they criticized Jesus about? They didn't like who Jesus was hanging out with. And I'm just, anyway, and I'm not saying you're weirdos. I'm saying that this is the criticism I got when I was hanging out with a couple of transgender people that came down and visited with me, who I love dearly. Um, anyway, so there's your positive and negative. Well, just, just so you know, I've always been a weirdo and I, I wear that proudly. It has nothing to do with my gender identity, but I'm really happy and I'm really glad to see that you're doing this and I'm really glad to hear everything that you're doing and best of luck to you in the future, Sam. Thank you very much. And I'm working on less, the year. And I've become less of a weirdo since I've came out. So, I mean, it's just... Okay. I'll let you believe that, Amy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thank you very much, Sam, once again for being on here. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Transformation Thursday. It's been a really fun time. Have a great night, Sam. Have a great night, Amy. Good night, you Danny. too. Good night, Sam. Thank you.